Hi, and welcome to show number 25 of the El Cafes to Travel Talk, a podcast where people share travel stories and adventures. My name is Tony Lloyd, and I'm your host. Well, first of all, what I'd like to do is just thank all the people who have been listening to us so far. When I look at the status report for the podcast, I can see that I've got people from the US, from the United Kingdom, we've got Germany, we've got Austria, Canada, Finland, we've got the Netherlands, we've got France, we've even got somebody from China listening in. Uh, so I'd like to thank you for that, and I'd like to encourage you, if you have not done so so far, to subscribe to our show so that you get all the updates. But in this podcast, please take a look at our podcast notes to see how you can make a contribution. All donations will be appreciated. Take a look at our Facebook page for the written stories. If you like to write stories or if you'd like to submit a story for a future podcast, please send us an email, lkfcitatraveltalks at gmail.com. Also, for any questions or comments, please also send us an email to that same address, which is lkfcitatraveltalks at gmail.com. For today's show, I talk with an expat slash traveler about his adventure with coronavirus and how a one-week holiday turned into a three-month adventure. So please get yourself a cup of tea or a coffee and enjoy today's show. My name is Jarrell Adams. I'm a 40-year-old international educator, father of two boys. Okay. And when you say international educator, what does that mean exactly? I started off working as a public school teacher and school administrator in New York City and New Jersey. And I decided to take my career on the road and into the world of international education at American schools. Where did your desire to travel come about? I am a single dad, so I found myself leaving my house every day at 5.30 in the morning to get to work. And I wasn't returning until about 7 o'clock, sometimes 8 o'clock each night. Although I had great weekends with my, with my sons, I found that my time, my family time was limited during the during the week. I thought that international education might be a way for us to not only be together more, but for me to combine my work life and my passion for travel together. Okay. What did your family have to say about you taking your sons and going traveling with them about the world? I would say that they understood because I've always traveled. My first time traveling was as a 19-year-old college student. I went to London for a Law in London program. That's where I got the travel bug. I was the poor kid in high school when all the kids were going to study Spanish in Mexico or take some fancy trip to Paris. I would walk by the signs in the guidance counselor's office and I couldn't afford any of those activities. That's where the travel bug started for me was not being able to do so uh, due to my family situations. I knew that one day as a parent that I would also want to have international experiences for my kids. Being an educator, it's so easy to do because international American schools, I learned that it was a great route to uh, working abroad. You don't pay taxes, you get a tax-free salary, free health care, free flights home to the U.S. every year, free tuition for your children, you know, free accommodations. I was able to justify moving by saying, I knew that by moving abroad and working in countries, I've worked in Hong Kong, I've worked in Congo, Brazzaville in Africa, and now I'm here in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Domestic help is much more affordable. So I knew I would be able to save more money, travel more, and enjoy more quality time with my boys. And um, I love learning foreign languages. And how old are your sons? Oldest, um, Daryl, is 13. 
and my youngest, Kai, is 10. And how are they feeling about moving about every so often? They were very excited. We lived in the Congo, which is in central West Africa, but we traveled a lot during our breaks to Kenya and South Africa, and they had so much fun. They they loved watching documentaries back home in the States, crocodiles and the animals, so they were very pumped. They made such great friendships with um, other kids from the international school community that they had more friends than they've ever had in their lives. So it's very interesting, the whole experience of teaching abroad, and another episode we could talk some more about that. But today, I wanted to talk about experience that you had recently when the start of coronavirus. Where were you at the start of this whole craziness of the shutdowns in different countries? Okay, yeah. So we were following the news. I was, I was working and living in Congo, Brazzaville, and there were no travel advisories uh, for Africa. So I, I took a trip on spring break on Friday, March 12th. My, my school took a break. And I said, okay, I'm going to South Africa. So I flew from Congo, Brazzaville to Johannesburg, South Africa. Neither countries had any, any major reportings of COVID-19 at the time. So I asked my kids, do you guys want to go to South Africa? They were like, no, we've been so many times. We want to go to one of our rich kids' friends' house and hang out with them for a week in their mansion. I was like, okay. So they went to um, another kid at the school. They went to his house and they stayed with him for a few days. And my domestic helper stayed behind to help them and take care of them. I went off to Johannesburg, South Africa with some of the teachers from the school. And I told them, I will see you in one week. I flew into Johannesburg. I had like two or three nights of fun um, at a rooftop party. In a, and then I told my fellow teachers like, hey guys, I'm gonna go visit some friends in Brazil for five days. I'll be back in, in a few days, I'll see you guys on, and then we'll all fly back to Brazzaville on Sunday from Johannesburg. So I had this really cool ticket, which was basically Brazzaville to South Africa, and then I had another ticket from South Africa to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and then Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, back to South Africa, South Africa back to Congo, Brazzaville. However, when I got to Brazil, things started to get kind of weird. I got notifications on my phone, the airline, um, I flew um, South African Airlines, and they sent me a message saying, your flight has been canceled. Please contact us immediately. My heart kind of stopped and went like, whoa, what's going on? And so I'm, I'm having a good time catching up with some friends in Rio de Janeiro, and I realized that, okay, my flight's been canceled. Is this going to cause me to lose my next flight, which was another airline? So I flew two different airlines. I flew, jo I flew South African Airlines from Johannesburg to Brazil but I flew Rwanda Airlines from South Africa to Congo. So I was okay. really worried that if I didn't rebook my flight, then I might miss my flight that was connecting me from South Africa back to Congo. So I contacted the airline and said, okay, sure, I'll leave a few days early. So instead of staying in Brazil for five days, I basically changed my ticket so that I would leave like after two or three days. Um, and that was the first period of weirdness. So I was able to change my ticket and get back to South Africa. But then when I got to South Africa, everything changed. I arrived in South Africa. And while I was on the plane, American citizens were no longer allowed in South Africa. What did they say to you when you land? How was that experience? Well, when we landed, they basically said, well, you know, you're not allowed to enter because 
Americans, American and European passports are no longer allowed in South Africa. So I'm watching all the Angolans and the Mozambicans and the Kenyans and the Egyptians. I'm watching all of the Africans get off the plane and proceed through immigration with no problem. So at that moment, I was like, you know what? I understand there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but I checked with South African airlines before I got on the plane in Brazil and said, hey, I heard there have been some changes. Is everything okay? Here is my resident visa. I'm a resident in Congo Brazzaville. I don't live in America currently. And here's the visa in my passport that states I'm a resident of Congo Brazzaville. The airline told me, no, you're, you're, you're good to board. You live in Africa. You can go back to Africa. I was like, great. So I got on the plane. And when I got off the plane, South African Airlines lied to me. It did not matter that I had a resident visa for Congo Brazzaville. No one with an American passport was allowed. So essentially, American passports had coronavirus. They didn't care if you were an American living in South Africa for 10 years or if you were an American living in Kenya or Brazzaville. It did not matter whether or not you had traveled to America recently. Any American or European passport was not welcome in South Africa at that moment. I was terrified. I called everyone I knew. I called my friends who are American living in South Africa. Some of them have government connections. I called the South African embassy or consulate rep that was working in Congo with me. His children were actually in the same grades as my kids. So I called him because we actually flew together from Brazzaville to Johannesburg. And he tried to help me and he was denied access to the holding area, um, even though he's a diplomat. The holding cell was a horrible experience because initially they didn't put us in any type of prison room. It wasn't like a prison. They just put us in the lunchroom and we were able to charge our cell phones and call our embassy and call our friends. But then one of the European girls had called her boyfriend who was South African and she posted something to Instagram or her boyfriend or her fiance and showing the horrible conditions we were stuck in. And the owner or the manager of the holding cell, he didn't like that negative publicity. So he ended up taking all of our cell phones. He took our bags. He put everything in like a lock. And then he shoved us into the cells. And we were not permitted to make phone calls or anything. So I called my, I had already called my embassy rep from the U.S. consulate. And they came to help me. But they basically told me that there are no diplomatic relations at the moment. We can't do anything for you. The only way thing we can do is let you know that you have to comply with the law. And so my, my representative from the U.S. Embassy said, book a flight out of here as soon as possible. There was no way to book a flight back to Congo? Right. I had a flight to Congo, but they would not allow me to enter South Africa to take that next flight. So we'd have to go through the airport. And Rwanda Airlines was not responding to me. So I already paid for my flight on Rwanda Air. And nobody from Rwanda Air would respond to me. So that ticket has, to this moment, I still don't know what's going on with my refund. I called my travel insurance companies. Nobody was able to cover it. They were like, nope, COVID-19 is not covered. You're on your own. Again, the holding cell area gave us no resources whatsoever. Okay. There was no help provided to us. It was really a horrible experience. There was, there was no hand sanitizer in there. There were no face masks offered. So we were just sitting ducks, sitting with other foreigners from Pakistan, from India, from England, from Spain, from the Netherlands. We were all in there together and we didn't have masks at the moment. 
and no one even brought us to it. So although the young lady posted on social media and it ended up backfiring and we were locked into cells because the manager didn't like that negative publicity, they eventually brought us masks and they eventually brought us toilet paper and they eventually brought us water and they eventually brought us um, soap so we could wash our hands. So we were locked into a cell and he took all of our cell phones but we were able to use the desk phone to at least um, communicate with our embassy. But again, it was very shady the way the place was being run. They charged me for my stay for two nights okay. in that place of uh, $300. They basically held me hostage. And um, I was able to call one of my best friends in South Africa. She's American. And we went to Ithaca College together. She was the one who was able to book me a flight to Dubai. And I found a flight from Dubai to Sao Paulo. Um, Dubai to Rio de Janeiro, I'm sorry. But my flight from Dubai to Rio de Janeiro was canceled. So I found out on my second or third night that I had booked a flight to um, Dubai and someone came to get me like literally minutes before the flight was taking off. They didn't book my bags or anything like that. My bags were lost for months, but I was able to get to Dubai. But once I got to Dubai, it was another night. When I got to Dubai, my flight to Rio de Janeiro was canceled. Okay. And at this point, yeah. Sorry, once again. So you, you were flying from, from there, from Dubai to Rio. And why, why were you no, going I was, back to Rio? I was, flying from, I was flying from South Africa to Dubai. Back, to, back to, to Dubai because there was no other flight I was able to book directly from, from Johannesburg. And my hope was that by going to Rio de Janeiro, I could easily get back to my children. Remember, all this time, I'm thinking about my kids. Yeah, How I am I going to get back to my kids? And so I figured, you know what? If I can get back to Brazil, I can get back to Angola because there are direct flights between Brazil and Angola. Angola is located next to Congo. Yeah. So my thinking at that time was, let me get back to Brazil. And from Brazil, when all of this blows over, I'll get an easy flight back to Angola. And from Angola, I can find an easy flight to Congo. That okay. was my thinking at the moment because... I knew that Brazil was a Portuguese-speaking country, country, and there's easy access to Angola, which is next to, next to Congo. So Congo doesn't really have many direct flights with any, many countries. So I figured Brazil was the perfect place for me to go because Brazil will give me easy access to Angola. And so I thought I would be able to, in a week or so, I thought coronavirus would blow over maybe and I'd be able to get an easy flight from Brazil to Angola and then from Angola I could either cross by land or whatever and get back into Congo to get back to my kids. But I'm stuck in Dubai and I don't have a flight from Dubai. They're literally telling me your flight's canceled and so they're telling me pick a country. So I look okay. at the board and go, what do you mean? They said pick a country, the kingdom of Dubai is closing in 24 hours. You need to leave the country. And so they said, well, pick a country. I said, well, can I get back to America? At this point, I figured I'm going to have to throw my whole plan of getting to Brazil out. Let me just go to America and, and work from there. So I was on standby for Seattle, which was the, was, was the epicenter of the epidemic at that moment. So I didn't want to go to Seattle, but I figured that's the only flight to America at the moment from Dubai. Let me get into Seattle. The Seattle flight was canceled. The Rio de Janeiro flight was canceled. So then I'm like, well, 
what do I do? And the representative at the airline said, just pick a country. You have to leave it within 24 hours. There were flights to Italy. There were flights to Portugal. There were flights to Spain. There were flights to England. And at that time, Europe was also an epicenter. So I didn't really want to go to Europe at all. So I was lucky enough to get on standby for Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I waited and I waited. I slept in the airport overnight. I booked a little shower into one of those sort of business class lounges. I paid for the daily membership. I bought some underwear. I changed my clothes and I slept in the airport that night. And then around six in the morning, I went back to the desk at um, Emirates Airline. The service was superb. Did I make standby? And they said, yes, you made the standby flight. So I found out at seven o'clock that I made the standby flight for, I think, like 7.59. They assured me that I would get to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that my bags would follow. So I get to Sao Paulo, Brazil. My bags aren't there. I have nothing but my book bag in like one little duffel bag with a few, I think a few pair of shorts or something. From Sao Paulo, Emirates Airline was able to help me get to Rio de Janeiro, where I have a lot of friends. They booked me a hotel room for a night, paid for my my taxi shuttle service to the hotel. I ended up staying in Brazil from March until June, until I was able to get back to America. My children were stuck in the Congo for about two weeks until I was able to arrange a U.S. Embassy evacuation flight from Congo to Kinshasa, Congo, from Kinshasa, Congo to Ethiopia. And finally, from Ethiopia, my boys were able to land in Washington, D.C., where one of their cousins, Danny, was was able to meet them at the airport. I was very fortunate to get my sons out of Africa at the time because I was worried that if, if they got coronavirus, that they both have asthma. I was worried that they would need a ventilator or something and they wouldn't be able to get one. My sons were evacuated but I was not reunited with them for three months. All of my belongings are still in the Congo at this moment, hoping that they can be sent to Ecuador. How about the communications with your son? How was that? How were you, what, what point were you able to talk to them? I'm so thankful that when I got to Dubai, I had Wi-Fi. It was free and easy to use. So luckily I had Wi-Fi in Dubai and my son has an iPhone. So I was able to communicate with not only my oldest son, also able to communicate with family at home. And I was able to communicate with the U.S. Embassy in Congo Brazzaville. Luckily, one of the teachers at my school was married to the number two in charge at the U.S. Embassy in Brazzaville. So there was a lot of communication back and forth, giving permission for my sons to get on a flight without me as their parent guardian. So this time, basically, they're spending the week with their friends and the friend's family, which you already authorized. What happens next? Yeah, so the Congo was also shut down. So Congo went into a lockdown and everybody had to be in their own homes with their own families. So my helper was so amazing. His name is Jonathan. He's only 20, he was only 22 or 23 years old at the time. So he was able to get my boys, pick them up from their friend, bring them back to the apartment. And my school used to give me $500 each month in something called COLA, cost of living adjustment. So my school was able to give my children and my helper the $500 cost of a living adjustment, the payment directly to them in in SIFA, which is the Congolese currency. They were able to give them that money and they were able to go to the grocery store and really buckle down for what we we thought would be a long or a short-term lockdown, but we knew there'd be a lockdown. And he was also able, of course, to take his salary out of it. And it took about another week after that to get the boys packed up and to arrange for their flights back to the U.S. Again, it wasn't a regular flight. It was an emergency evacuation flight. Each flight was $2,000 for each child. So $4,000 total for that evacuation flight, which has to be paid back. 
So you make it to Brazil. <laughs> so I made it to Brazil and I initially thought I would be there for maybe, I don't know, maybe a week or two. My priority while I was in Brazil was following through with all the communication for my boys to get back to Washington, D.C. Okay. so they could be with family. And then after I realized that this thing might not be going away, I went ahead and booked a long-term rental. So I booked an apartment in Copacabana. I speak a little Portuguese and my best friends are there. So I have a network of friends to support me in Brazil. Okay. So Brazil was an easy sort of walk in the park. So everything about Brazil was easy. It's just that it was under lockdown as well and the beach was closed. So I wasn't on vacation. And then I had to switch to virtual learning for my job. So I had to wake up at a very early hour because there was a time difference between Brazil and Congo Brazzaville. So I was waking up at six o'clock in the morning in Brazil. So your sons were able to get out on this emergency flight back to Washington and they were then reunited with the family members. And at what point did, did you actually make the connection to meet up with them? I didn't get back to my sons until the, until the first week or second week of June, because I always thought that I would be able to leave Brazil, go to Angola and get back to Congo. Because remember, my whole life was in Congo. I wasn't okay. on vacation. You know, I saw a lot of negative stuff on the internet about why did people travel? And what are people doing? Everybody doesn't live in America. Some Americans work abroad. So when people say there's an American in Brazil on vacation, or there's an American in Johannesburg on vacation, some of us actually live abroad full time. And so I was very frustrated, you know, reading a lot of the news reports that were basically depicting us as irresponsible people who were traveling during the middle of a virus. For me, it was really hard to be without my kids for this time. But I kept my eyes on the prize, which was how do I keep money coming in so I can support my family? I had to switch to a virtual model for work, but I had no idea that it would, it would extend for the duration of the school year. When I realized that there was no chance that Congo Brazzaville was gonna open the border and allow me to get back in, because remember, I wanted to get all of my belongings out of Congo we were not visitors, we were residents. I made peace with that. I stayed in Brazil until the first week in June. And I flew from, from Brazil to Miami. And then I had a connecting flight to New York City. I was able to get back to my sons in New Jersey where their aunt lives. And we were finally reunited um, for the summer until it was time for us to leave for Ecuador. Did you already have plans to move to Ecuador before this uh, uh, back in March? Or was oh, the yeah. Ecuador move something that happened as a result of all of this? Oh, good question. I went to a career fair over Thanksgiving in 2019 for a school in Ecuador back in um, December 2019. So I had this job waiting for me. You got here at the end of August, you said, to Ecuador. Yes, is, um, I've been in Ecuador since August 22nd. Right in the middle again with Ecuador still having limitations on their shutdowns and right. curfews. <laughs> right. So it's been an interesting time to, to try to settle into a new country. We were very impressed with how organized they were at the airport. They did not require COVID-19 tests for children. They only required COVID-19 tests for adults. That was very interesting to me. My boys had already been tested. We were able to come directly to our condo complex. Sons are attending virtual classes. So after all this experience and all this going from one end of the world to another end of the world, was there 
anything that you would like to say to the audience or anything that you'd like to say about something that maybe you've learned or what do you get out of this experience? I learned a little bit about patience, knowing when to speak up and, but also knowing when to just keep your mouth closed and be thankful. So there were moments where my tension level was really high and I was less than patient, but there were also moments where I just had to say, you know what? Okay, I can't do this today. And that's fine. I can't force it. So I had to make peace with coronavirus. Sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to, but that doesn't mean it's all doom and gloom. I think it's important for all of us when we go through these big moments to look for the bright side of things. And so we never wanted for food. We obviously missed each other. Most of our other basic needs were taken care of. And I'm very thankful for my network of friendship. Sometimes you have to learn to reach out to friends for support. I'm a very independent person, so it was very tough for me to, you know, call and ask everyone for help. Just knowing that people that are your real friends, they will support you in the time. I had a little guilt for going on vacation without my kids, but I also was like, you know what? No one could have predicted that seven days would have turned into three months. I had moments where I doubted myself, but we're fine at the end of the day. And here we are in, in Ecuador, enjoying the experience and thriving in spite of everything that we've been through. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I know that you're about to sit down for dinner with your boys. And chicken, chicken stew time. Okay. <laughs> so as we say here, buen provecho. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening in. And as always, Jay's contact information can be found in our podcast notes. Also in our podcast notes, or as information for anyone who would like to donate and support our program. Don't forget to subscribe on any one of the podcast providers so that you get all the updates as soon as they come in. And if you have any stories like this that you'd like to share with us, either in the written form or for a future podcast, please send me an email to lcastictotraveltalks at gmail.com. Also, for any questions or comments that you might have about the show, lcastictotraveltalks at gmail.com. As always, I look forward to seeing you one day here at the El Cafecito in Cuenca, Ecuador. So for now, please stay safe. All the best.